0: Welcome to Permaculture Tonight. Tonight is a special one. We're going to be sharing a talk I gave at the Petaluma Seed Bank. And it's about how to fix California. And it's kind of full of information. It's 55 minutes long. I encourage you to sit down. And you're probably going to be distracted because they to say a lot of things. And some of them might seem audacious if you don't hear the rest of the talk. And there's one other thing that I forgot to add in the talk that I'm going to add now. We need to bring back grizzly bears. They're on the state flag. And we need to bring back wolves. Without anything more I'll say, we begin. All right, well, I'm gonna start off big and then I'm gonna go small. I'm basically going to map out what we can do with California and how to change California for the better using permaculture. And so if you have questions or if you're like, wait, but you're missing this piece, just hold it to the end and then share it with me in case I've actually missed it, uh, because I'll appreciate that. (laughs) But I'm going to try to cover everything as I go through, and I'm going to speak to the greater audience, um, to California and perhaps the world. All right, so to start off with, the first thing that we need to talk about, the biggest thing that we need to deal with is our forests. Forests in California, um, we've interrupted the cycle that is normal for burning to happen every season and instead we waited like about 100 years where we haven't had any major fires and so we have these like mega fires brewing and it really is a product of us interrupting a natural cycle and i'm not saying that it's good that people lose their homes i'm not saying that it's good that we have these mega fires what i'm actually saying is we need to recognize the fire cycle and then we need to thin and trim so and this sounds you know, wild, but we need to cut trees down. There's not a market for these trees, so we're not going to be selling them, and actually I don't want us to sell them. I want us to cut them and return them to the soil. So what we can do is we can go into the forest, we can use trees that we top at like 20 feet on contour to be the anchors, and then the trees above and below that, you would lay into those trees in such a way that it won't roll down the hill when it rains, um, and then cover it with dirt. And this is actually something that Cal Fire does right now. They take, they do slash piles and then cover them with dirt because they go fungal and they get wet and they end up being a huge fire break. Now, if we take our driest areas, we cut them in half, we make these corridors, we can at least have areas where we can hold the fires that are gonna start next year and then the year after that. Because we're not gonna be able to stop the fires from coming back. We have 100 years of, of stuff we have to make up. So to first off, we need to, do prescribed burns after we do these these corridors. We need to cut up the landscape in order to make it manageable. So we need to make these giant anchored, anchored hugel cultures. We need to inoculate them with fungi so that they actually create water. We also need to do uh, key line like key point dams, like checkpoint dams, all around. So if anyone knows what key line is, it's where the concave turns to convex, where the valley begins. And it's actually a line that connects all the valleys, almost always—not always, but almost always—and so we can actually take these these lines and turn them into these transformative events. So we need to use fire. We need to use trees. We need to use the processes of natural of, of natural breakdown to stop these fires, and then we also need to plant positive invasive species. This is probably something that like is like a like a knee-jerk reaction, right? They have invasive species. We don't want negative invasive species because those are what will show up if we do nothing. It'll all just burn down and then we'll just have weeds everywhere. But if we take the time to plant positive invasive species, they'll take over and they'll displace the things that we don't want taking over. Bill Armstrong in New Mexico is uh, actually working on this for a while. He's uh, the guy who cut corridors in the forest. And what happens is, when they hit the corridors, the, the fire goes up and goes out. So he thins the trees like 20 to 30 feet high, and then he thins it out so you can like ride horses through. So The fire goes and can't find fuel, and then it goes up in the air and goes out. And if we can do this in strategic areas at least, just at least, we will be able to really head off the fires as they return, because there's nothing going to stop them from returning. El Nino's not going to do it. (laughs) So we have to. And we have to kind of go past that fire event and go to the soil building event that would come afterwards. So products uh, of a forest are clean water, food, shelter, and rain. And trees really are translators of energy. And if we remove them from our, from our forests, we remove them from our systems, we actually remove the things that are moderating our weather, the things that are creating our climates, creating our rain and doing all these other things. And so that gets to the watersheds. We need to rebuild our watersheds. Uh, our water cycle in California, I did a talk on this uh, six months ago, and it was about how our, water, our watersheds in, in California aren't recognizing the water cycle. The water cycle in California, the way it works is the rain comes in from the coast, right? It hits those mountains, cause the rain's shadow because the mountains go up and they drop all the rain. And on the other side, there's not as much water. And so they, it's like desert on the other side. We're taking all that water and redistributing that wealth, giving it to the cities and the farmers, but it fell. On the Sierra Nevada. And if you remove that wealth from the Sierra Nevada, you defund the, econo- the economy of nature up there. And if you take that equity out, you are you are you're causing the collapse of the ecosystem. And they need and the ecosystem needs that equity to create all the rain, needs that equity to support all the life. That is the whole trophic thing that goes down the whole mountain that supports all the life below it, including us. So we need to slow, soak, and spread water. Like, you know, classic, right? Um, we need to do check ga- check dams. We need to do swales. We need to do gabions, which are just wire baskets with rocks in them. Uh, it's a way of uh, get, getting uh, water to form and a uh, way to soil to collect and, and slow things down in the deserts. So water moves really fast, comes in uh, singular events in the desert. We also need to have shade. And I'm from the Central Valley, so a lot of this is perspective of drier than like Northern Cali, for instance. So we need vigorous plant growth, we need that shade, and we need new plants, because the climates have changed. We need to shift to the next zone, or sometimes two zones, depending on where we are. So if we want positive change in the landscape, we have to take this crisis and utilize it as the opportunity that it is. We need to drain and decommission the dams, and it's probably the scariest, you know, statement I can make. Um, And we need to enter the hydroelectric scam. We're literally taking the water off of the High Sierras, running it through turbines, selling electricity back to the locals, and then taking their water away and giving it to the cities to flush once, and then it goes into the ocean. That, like, has to end. We can't. Nothing. That will lead to nothing but extinction. (laughs) You know, no water, right? So we need to stop that. Um, we need to ban the bottling of, pla- uh, of, all, of all, like, bottles of water. No more plastic bottles of water. We need to ban that. All of our, you know, aquifers that are drying out are being tapped right now, and our cities are selling it directly to all these bottling companies. We need to ban that in our cities and our towns. It's like you can sell water to someone just in an open cup. You don't need that bottle. So. Um, These things that I'm talking about really are for the forests, really are for the watersheds themselves. Because unless we take care of the earth first, there won't be people to take care of second. So we need to put the earth first if we want to be around. All right, so speaking of which, um, our coasts, we need to... We really need to rebuild our coasts because those are the things that are the edge between the ocean and the land, and they're also where we turn all of our uh, like all of our waste into non-soluble form. <laughs> That's what marshes and wetlands are doing. They're taking all of our waste from all all, all around and they're sinking it into long carbon chains. What compost is doing, through all life breaks down into these long carbon chains. We need them because. We need the, the forest, the wetlands. We need all the slowing, the soaking that we can get. And these coastal forests are actually like conveyor belts. They bring in the moisture from the ocean and carry it through the trees. And these actually these big Eichmann spirals. They go like this. And this, when, when the wind hits, it goes up and goes down. And what happens is when it does that, it brings up the tree leaf litter, causes the trees to form rain, because the leaf litter forms around like the ice nuclei. And so the trees are actually carrying this moisture and building it as it heads towards the mountains. When we cut them off, we actually end that cycle. So most of the things that we need to do in California are recognizing natural cycles. And we can do it. It's actually pretty easy. um, But we need to do it consciously. So we need to breed predators and prey up. And we need to not overfish. We need to overstock. And that's because our, our oceans are dirty. So, we need to use our animals and plants like biofilters, because that's technically what we are. That's why we're getting cancer so much, because there's so much pollution. We're filtering it out. And we're dying because we're filtering it out. But that's part of the way the natural systems work. So, biofilters. If we don't want to be the filters, we need to have nature be the filters for it and then return it to those long carbon chains. So, in the ocean, that would mean, you know those vertical kelp and seaweed farms they want to do? Yeah, do those. Don't feed it to anyone. When, when you're done with that cycle, just drop it off and let it go down to the bottom of the ocean and turn back into soil. And that is also a form of soil, that, that, uh, that breakdown on the, on, the on the coastal side of things. So we need to overstock. We need to have biofilters. We also um, need to put in things upstream. So the way we've been straightening all the rivers and lakes and streams, like co- making them into concrete corridors, we need to get rid of that and have it be undulating again. Because it's those turns and those bends that actually create life. When you slow water down, things grow in it, right? I mean we all know that stagnant water grows things, right? Fast moving water doesn't. And especially when you have a concrete, you know, thing that's straight, perfectly straight, you know, not no catchment, right? You're not gonna get the, the results that we need. And we really need results. So we can't divert any bodies of water, and we can't use it for, um, I mean, flooding, yeah. We're going to have to handle floods, um, because once we start having all this water not, you know, and stuck in our dams, it's going to travel through the traditional creeks and streams. And I, I have one behind my house, and it's dry. So that seems awesome, because it's 30 to 40 feet high, and it's never been there in memory, right? So if we have all this water passing through, we can reroute it during those flood events and then have it route into the landscape. But we can't just end the flow. We have to work with the flow, not to obliterate it. So we need to have minimal and limited coastal fishing for a time, minimal swimming and boating, minimal machine work. We actually need to create um, artificial reefs so they've been doing this on the east coast for a very long time and i know the east coast is shallow and goes out for a long time and it's very shallow and the west coast is very drops off right we can still make protected areas where we are making artificial reefs so that we can have small areas that are basically like incubation you know areas for for life to regrow small protected zones um yeah, and then we got to ban d- dumping of all kinds. If you're gonna dump something off your property and it's leaving your property, it's clean water. And all of us can clean all of our waste on our properties. That's not an issue. Um, so if, it, if it's leaving your property, and that goes from us to the in- industry, you know, it has to be the same. We can't have double standards. So to that effect, no more offshore drilling, no more fracking, um, no more drilling on land. We need to stop importing oil and gas, and we need to consciously say no and act like they aren't here now, because otherwise we're never going to move fast enough. We are the guy that loves peanuts, and there's free peanuts there, and we are allergic and don't have our EpiPens any longer. We need to just stop. And the only way to do that is to consciously be like, okay, everyone, we're going to act like we're stopping now. And amazing things are going to happen when we do that. Um, But I'll get there. So fixing our farms. I was talking to someone about this uh, before we started. Uh, They can't drain the landscape anymore and reroute the water to areas that are arid. We can't uh, water a desert and expect um, it to be sustainable. So we need to... uh, we can't, cause, we can't cause fires in the Sierra Nevadas to create food in the Central Valley because by rerouting the water, they're literally draining all the aquifers, all the cracks in the bedrock, which is all of our wells. We have trees in the, in the, in the Sierra Nevadas that are scrub oak that are literally dying. And these are like 20 foot tall trees. And they're just dying because there's no water. You dig six feet in the ground, and I've done it many times. Uh, And it's just dry, bone dry. And you can, after the rains, I mean even this, you can go to the parts where there aren't swales on my property and dig and an inch down, sometimes even just a centimeter down, it's bone dry. So we need to do things now because the land itself is dying. And I'm worried, I'm actually worried about the soil microbes more than anything nowadays because if it's been dry, bone dry in there for more than four years, which it has, a lot of the, the natural like bo- soil biology, the microbes, the fungi, uh, the bacteria, their, their, their eggs even aren't even surviving now. So we need to do something to take this back. We need to have the Sierras be as healthy as the Central Valley, and we need the Central Valley not to grow things that take oodles of water. So we need to switch climates. Uh, we need to use legumes um, to give us the nitrogen that we need for our crops and for our trees. We need to go to polycultures. We need growing groups. We can't just grow monocultures anymore. We need to go to no-till. We need to compost in place. That means that it's like cover crops except more so. Uh, Elaine Ingham's got an amazing plan for how to do this. Um, she's just waiting for the right person to come along. <laughs> hint, hint. hint. Um, key line ripping. That's uh, another amazing technique. It's not like tilling. Instead, you're cutting the land, and then it heals right back up. But what you do is you allow for deep penetration of nutrients and water. And if you're compost teeing directly into the cut afterward, you can have incredible things happen. So, um, and then finally, shade. In the Midwest, they're already doing like silva pasture, They're doing things where there's like there's annuals, and then there's per- perennials, and then there's annuals, and these corridors. We need that because we need the shade. Our crops here, direct sun doesn't mean direct sun or you know, full sun in our area because it's so hot in the Central Valley that full sun is not, not can't, the plants can't handle that in, in the Central Valley. So we need to stack our functions again. Most farmers aren't allowed to have animals and plants in the same operation. It's just not allowed anymore. Yet that's the only way that we're going to make labor easy enough and production high enough for us to move on. And get out of the monoculture and the industrial farming system. We have to have animals and plants work together. In China, they subsidized the changeover from extractive farming to regenerative farming, and they actually had the farmers pulled off the land for four years because they were just endlessly grazing it, grazing it down. They pulled them, pulled them off. They planted per, uh, perennials and polycultures. They created giant swales, they did terraces, and now the region is prospering. They don't need to subsidize them. All of, all of our main, main crops are subsidized and the farmers are subsidized too. And if we can just get them to a place where we don't have to subsidize them any longer and instead they can be profitable, I mean, that's night and day difference. And it really comes to how we farm and what we are farming. And those are just choices we can make. Cities. Okay, so fixing our cities. Um, We need to catch our water. Uh, In Phoenix, Arizona, Brad Lancaster, like the guru of rainwater catchment, has said that they've got enough water. It's how they manage it. California gets more water than Phoenix on average, (laughs) a lot more water than Phoenix on average. And we can manage our water. LA gets so much water they have problems with flooding, yet they're still taking our water still flushing it down the drain. They need to create cisterns, and this has been done in LA County cities. They create giant cisterns underneath the city and they catch all the water they need every single year, and they don't have to take any water out of the Sierra Nevadas. There's also amazing water recycling programs, like in Orange County, where not a drop is taken out of their aquifer that isn't put back. And they actually put, they pump it back down underground into the aquifer again. And so there's these programs in place. We have working examples in California. We just all need to get together and say, we need this now, and we don't want to hear anything else. Uh, and if we demand in our communities for these things to happen, whether we get rid of what's already there and crowdfund it, or whether we get our tax, because it's our tax money, right, whether we get our tax money to pay for it, it doesn't matter. We still need to do it. So, just like with um, all the other areas, we need to slow, soak, and spread. Not a drop can leave our cities. And that means that it can't be just public. We can't have these huge things and catch all the water and then have to energy intensive how they have to go through and then filter it all. It needs to be everyone. It needs to be all private and public. All of us need to be capturing all the rainwater. because then suddenly you have a whole myriad of different catchment options. And then you have different size catchments. And because we have so many different forms of catchment, different sides of the catchment, the large public catchment will have an easier job. We won't have to rely on them for that water. They'll be able to use that water for other things, and we'll be able to rely, be more self-reliant. So, has anyone been to Europe and flushed a toilet with her foot? Did you guys know that in Europe they, they decided that it was gross to lean over public toilets and flush it into your face with your hand, touching the same place that other people touched themselves and touched you? Yeah, they said, that's gross, we don't do that. And I don't understand why America's like, let this go on for so long. Like, we need to stop designing like the spread of disease. And the thing is, everyone doesn't like it. We're all like, we're gonna use the foot now. You know what I mean? Because we, we just, just decided it was gross. But why don't we decide like the the next step? Let's just redesign that. So that's really like what needs to happen. We need to separate our pee from our poop, and we need to process them separately. And this has already been done. This was done about two hundred years ago, I think in either ne- the Netherlands or Denmark, but they created a toilet that separates them. And when they're separate, oh boy, you could totally compost them so much easier. And when they combine, that's when things get difficult actually. So if we keep them separate, and if it's in a city, we can just route that. And if it's a city, then it's in, Then we can do municipal size composting, which is much easier actually. Compost toilets, you're composting a small amount inside your house. So maybe the future is going to be us routing that waste out of our homes into larger containment vessels, sort of like a septic, except designed to actually compost and and, and, and safely process things. Because you guys saw that thing that went around, right? That The septic tanks leak. They're still letting um, E. coli and stuff into the waterways and stuff like that so we need to we need to i mean the septic tanks don't work essentially is what they're saying so we need to think of something new and then we also for the cities you can't have a compost toilet in every apartment you need to route that and then they need to take all that methane generated by the poo and use that for all the cooking fires because that's what they do in britain already so i mean all these things are spread out the answers are all there they're just all spread out and we just have to combine them all and say yes um So, yeah, we need to fix the toilet. I'm so glad we got over that. We need to generate our own energy. So no more wasted energy. Cities are like crazy the way they waste energy. The water comes down, it flows to the sewers and goes out and it's away. The water goes down inside, falls. So there's falling water inside every building in a city. The amount of energy created by that falling water is immense we could be taking that energy. Think about like the skyscrapers in New York City, the amount of weight that creates as it falls too. So all this potential energy, all this potential business opportunity. But we need to start and we need to look at these things. I, I know that people are working on making braking systems, generate energy. Imagine if our public transit moved slower, so it would need less energy, then generated energy when it braked. I mean, we'd have a completely different system then. And people are working on it right now. But I think the idea of it slowing it down is really critical. When we slow things down, there's less accidents. When we slow things down, it takes less energy, less repair, all these different things. Banning cars, speaking of slowing down, cities should be walking cities as much as you can design. <laughs> so, If any of you have been to New York City, it's a walking city, and people actually treat each other differently in a city where everyone walks, because everyone's equal on their two feet. It's completely different in L.A. when you're like, oh, I'll meet you there. What car are you driving? It's like, oh, let's insert status here. No, in New York City, there's none of that. It's very egalitarian actually, and you have people who are like really wealthy, you know, taking the subway, and people who are not sitting next to them. And that idea of it being egalitarian really comes from the idea of it being a walking city. If we walk, if everything's interconnected, we're going to treat each other socially differently. We're also going to treat the land around us differently. We're also going to design things differently. Our cities need to be designed with simplicity and creativity in mind. So your neighborhood should have everything you need. We need, we need those corner delis to suddenly be, be corner farmers markets. And then the people growing the food in the neighborhood. Oh, well, you know, I'm selling it here on consignment, that's Bob's pears. And, you know, needs to be all interconnected like that. And then all public lands in cities need to be landscaped. So the homeless can work for their food and local farms or co-ops or forage. Um, it should be possible for us to do these things, um, especially if they're well designed. Abandoned lots and cities, they all need to be flipped. HOAs and city and town ordinances cannot ban gardens, food forests, rainwater harvesting, or anything that makes you more independent. If it's something that our ancestors did to just survive, it should not be illegal. It should in fact be encouraged so we are less dependent upon the systems. Because the more dependent we all are on the systems that we all live on, the more fragile they are. We're all leaning on it. And if there's a break in it, it's like the potato famine, right? All of the Irish were eating potatoes and sending the oats and the grain to Britain. But when those potatoes went, there was nothing to feed them. And then they still had to give the oats and the grain to, to Britain. Poor Ireland. Um, so we need to change, we need to change um, the laws so they protect us rather than them um, and the industries that are taking away our equity. So much of this boils down to choice and education. Um, And so we kind of reached the point where we're at the economy. And this is the hurdle that we really need to overcome, and it actually is all of us. It's how we interact with each other. It's a game. Economies are simply games that we're playing that we agree to play on, the rules that we agree on. So I've been thinking a lot about this. America, the way it was created, the way freedom was created, and what freedom is, and how is it economic in nature? So independence started with self-reliance. America didn't need a king of England, didn't need a central bank, didn't need nobility, you know, all the same sort of things. They didn't need any of that. And so they were able to provide for themselves. And because they recognized their ability to be self-reliant, they said, we're independent in all but name. So let's declare our independence. And that independence led to democracy. And ideally it leads to ethical representation of all people. And that's really what our constitution said, and that's why people in Africa and people in South America and people in you know the Middle East and in Turkey read it and said, Wow, this is amazing. Let's do this. And that's why in other countries, I mean, they they, they read our documents and they included women in it, because they didn't understand that it was all rich white men writing it, right? And that's the beauty of our system is it's these words that transcend that moment in history. And that's what America truly is, and that's what I truly think it can be and what we all want it to be. So it's people, power, and democracy that we want, and all extends from being self-reliant, be able to provide our own food, fiber, our energy, and our water, and to a certain degree our own economy, and that comes from local economies. I'm not saying we're going to suddenly be doing replacing sugarcane overnight or something like that. But we are going to significantly displace all of that so that the equity returns to us. So what I mean by that is, if we grow our own food to save our own seed, that grocery store's equity returns to us. All the the equity that was once in our families is now spread out around us in the dollar economy. The Wall Street economy is one way to think about it. The family economy is in serious trouble the people economy is in serious trouble and that's why we have so many like ethical issues in our society because we don't have any like ethical backing and the way we do that is we agree upon it we decide those are the rules of the game and we live by them but the problem is we don't have enough education going on we don't have enough people talking about these things and that's why i wanted to do this talk so if we're doing the homegrown foods, we're returning equity to the families. We need to do things like taking our land out of the market. Just as we take our food, our diets, our, our, our bodies off the market, let's take the land off the market. So we're doing land trusts, we're doing family trusts, so that suddenly that land that, you know, they're betting on, they can't bet on anymore and they can't, you know, they can't leverage it out of you using a mortgage. Suddenly, it's in your family, potentially for for generations, as it should be. I I believe that our economy should be strong enough that people my age, in their 30s, with families, should be able to afford to buy land. It shouldn't be a ludicrous proposition. But it, it looks that way to a lot of people. I don't know anyone my age that's buying land because it's impossible to afford. How would they have made the money to do that, right? And not only that, we can't do it through mortgages. Our economy needs to be strong enough that we can buy land outright without having to borrow money and spending our whole life, mortgage, right, our death gauge, how long we'll live. That's what mortgage is, right? We can't do that anymore because it's unsustainable. Because in another generation, we're all just going to be serfs living on landholder's land like it was in, in England, and in the, you know, Great Britain. And like that some people are worried that's the plan. <laughs> but the thing is we need to like fix that before that becomes the reality. And we have all the power right now to do it. We may not in thirty years if we don't do anything, but we do actually right now have the power. So moving on. I was gonna use a staple, but we'll get there someday. All right, so CSAs and farm shares. I don't know if you guys have heard of farm shares, but it's when, like let's say all of us in this room, we put in $5,000 and we open a farm, and then we all own a portion of that farm, and everything they make, like produce on that farm, we get first dibs on at the low market cost. And so then we can like resell it as a grocery store or a farmer's market, or we can turn it into a product and sell that product. But the idea is that we're suddenly cutting out all the middlemen and we're directly involved in the farm without us being the farmer, because a lot of people can't do that yet. A lot of people aren't even interested in that yet. So what we need to do is we need to transition as fast as possible and, and farm shares and CSAs are a wonderful way to do that. And CSAs don't have to just be food. They can be fiber. They can be. They can be a lot of different things. They can be services. Um, crowdfunding change. this is this is something that I, I mean, the CSAs uh, and the farm shares really are like slow motion crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is like ideally what democracy should be, right? It's like let's all get together and then, like, you know, we'll put our money in, yeah, let's all vote on that. And they're like, yeah, I vote that much for that, right? And that's essentially what sadly, what our um, our elections are like, except we're not the ones putting the money into crowdfund it's corporations that are crowdfunding our politicians so we just need to flip that and put it into an ethical framework that works for us so choice is needed education is needed we need to ban and boycott things publicly and privately but we need to start doing it we need to say no um we need to buy local things that are produced locally so we can't buy local from the guy who's got stuff from China we can't we gotta buy local locally um because local is everything, and the problem is social, and the solution is social. So we need to make our local communities vibrant again. We need to speak together with our actions, and that's the only way we're going to see real change. We need to imagine if the power goes off today, and we no longer can get things, we need to, make, we need to act like that's already happened, because it's the only way that we're actually going to make a change. So in order to make this change, we really need to embody that change economically. So we need to start small businesses. We need to start bartering, start saving food, start seed saving, all these sorts of things. And um, we need to start generating the, these, uh, these uh, new businesses out of the abundances that we can create. So it's not like we're going to liquidate something in our local environment that once and then it's all gone which is kind of the habit that we've had for a long time, what we need to do is find things that are regenerable. So if, I mean, if you're up in Montana, for instance, the woody biomass up there generates tons of energy. The whole idea of a rocket mass stove, tons of energy. And I mean, I know that at some point, someone's just going to be selling bundles of sticks for the rocket stoves, and it's going to be hilarious, because it's stuff that children can gather, right? Um, So we need to use compost. We need to harness the energy from compost. We need to do wind power. Yeah, we need to do, um, we need to think about like biodiesel. Coconut oil makes incredible biodiesel in the tropics. In our area here, I think we can still up here do Chilean wine palm, which makes good coconut oil. Um, And, I mean, in our area, we we can grow almost anything. This area here, it's, it's, like the, it's like the Golden Triangle or something, it's incredible. Um, so we, we, can, we can grow incredible things uh, for fuel, for fiber in this area, but in, in general, waste needs to stop being coming, an output it needs to become an input. So whatever waste we create needs to power something else, and then disappear into that next cycle, or into several cycles, it doesn't matter but that all the waste products we have need to be cycled out. And so that means that we need, to, um, we need to be creative in how we work with everything. Because the fact is that we are the greatest forces for good on the planet. We are also the greatest forces for negative. But it's that choice that we need to recognize. Because, I mean, you talk to a lot of people today, and they do not understand that they are the greatest forces for positive energy, positive action on this earth. They don't understand that. And that's the truth. As much damage as we do, we can do so much good. So these economies are just games we're playing. We just need to decide that, uh, what rules we want to play by and then just change them. We are not beholden to McDonald's or you know, Monsanto or any of these bodies because we are still the people using our money. And I do understand about the whole tax thing. We'll get there too. Um, so start borrowing, start seed saving, start growing your own food and raising your own animals. Uh, because all, that's ge- all that generates exponentially. It's actually the exponential wealth economy that they've been trying to tell us about. Um, it's seeds, it's animals, it's nature. That's the exponential growth. Uh, it's, it, it's not um, Keynesian or, or Keyesian, you know, economics or anything like that. So we need to fix our homes. So we've gone from the forest all the way to our homes. So we need to redesign our homes. We need to orient them parallel to the sun path. Because if you don't, one side of your house gets really hot and the other side's cold. And you're always like heating, and cooling, wasted energy. Um, we need to catch all the rain that falls on our land. You trap it in uh, you know, uh, containment vessels or in the soil. Um, we need to use. Uh, we need to handle all of our gray water and even our black water. We need to be using like reed beds. We need to use micro-remediation. Uh, and we need to start growing indoors and outdoors. We need to be doing fungi. We need to be um, turning all of our paper waste into fungi. We need to be using earth sheltering to keep uh, homes cool and warm. We need to use compost toilets where we can, or separate the or separate the waste, and then uh, use it in large municipal uh, m- municipalities to generate energy. Really, and also when the end product is done generating energy, that's wonderful soil amendment. So we need to generate electricity with all the ways we know how: wind, solar, and water, and even biking. We need to use the flow and participate, and don't remove the flow and obliterate. We need to rethink our diets. We need to personalize them. We need to localize them. There's cookbooks that are here. There's cookbooks that are coming out that are doing this. Our diets are changing rapidly. I think about what I ate as a child, and I'm appalled. Pigs in a blanket. <laughs> and, and it's like people don't eat that way anymore. People just don't eat that way anymore. And in 10 years, people are not going to eat the way they are now. We're in a transition period. That's why we get like fake meat. We got fake this and fake that. It's cuz people are still uncomfortable with, you know, switching over to this or that. And it's like in 5 years they're going to be like, "All right, what's new? What's colorful? Hit me something. I want to try something new." And people are going to be constantly breeding new foods. And I mean, that's that's what's going on. There's just there's a momentum that's building right now. People are starting to grow their own food. People are starting to breed new varieties. People's palates are expanding. People's minds are expanding. Creativity is becoming unhinged from the schooling. We have amazing things happening. And it all comes down to the prime directive of permaculture, which is make it now. So this is a transition. Yeah, it's a transition. It's not an easy transition. This is a transition of a lifetime, but it's a transition of human race's lifetime, the transition of, you know, uh, of a kind, <laughs> of a, uh, I want to say in front of uh, a, <laughs> so um, we, we got to get, we got to start as if we were, as if we've already reached the end and we have to look at what we have as if it's all we have and we need to turn to the people around us and see them as resources and see ourselves as resources in their lives as well. And so the reason I know this is, is, is possible is because we've already done this. The CCC, the Conserva- Civilian Conservation Corps created by FDR, was sent out all over America to repair the damage that um, all the big industries had done. So if you go down to Tucson, and you guys can look this up, there's uh, coordinates online for this. Uh, Tucson, there's these swales in the middle of the desert, and there's a there's the forest in you walk outside, and then there's nothing. It's desert. You walk back in, and it's forest. And it's just because of the design. It's on contour, and it's big. It's designed to catch all the water that comes to that area. So we know that people can do it. We know we've done it in the past. Um, our entire world really needs designing. And, uh, and not just America, not just California, the entire world. And people are doing this in other countries right now. They're taking huge landscapes and trying to change them. and They're having huge successes. The reality is there's no unemployment issue, that we do not have an unemployment crisis. We have a scarcity economy crisis. We do not have an overpopulation problem. We have a scarcity economic job problem. We We have a design problem. We've set up a system to make it seem like we need to feed off of each other in order to survive. When it's really, we need to turn up the volume and the frequency of the cycles of nature. And then we all will be able to find our place and find equilibrium. The, the UN has done studies on this, and if if you're living off the land, the population in that community actually stabilizes. So it's not that we need to like you know vaccinate people so they don't have children like Bill Gates in Africa. We don't need to control population that way. We don't need to you know wage wars over resources or anything like that. everything can take be taken care of in our community and largely in our backyard. So we just need to educate people and then deploy all these different things. So going back to our taxes, 55% of our federal income tax goes to the military. Why not bring them home? Put them to work. I know a lot of them are coming back um, with uh, PTSD. Uh, I'm sure if they came back and instead of you know doing what they were doing over there and made equity happen here on our soil, enriched America's soil, then we would see a huge change. They wouldn't be coming out of the military with PTSD, they'd be coming out of the military inspired, full of hope, returning to their communities to help people. And that's, I mean, isn't that the dream, right? We want people to help people. We want America to be a place where people help each other. And I believe that that's all possible. And all boils down to these choices we make. We need this equity to not go out of our country like your Walmart where it goes to China. We need the equity to stay in our local communities. So we can't let these large businesses set up shop in our towns. We can't work for them because our money just leaves. So we need to transition um, things and we're going to have to do it in stages. So I've got it here. So water is the easiest, especially water for people. Harvesting rainwater, especially in cities and in uh, and, and local areas where they've got plenty of land, it's super easy. I think it's actually hardest in suburbia, where you have HOAs and neighborhoods are like, "Oh, that's ugly." In the city, it's easy. It's just like, "Oh, it's all concrete. Just put the you know buckets under here." And, and in the country, it's like, "Oh, we're just we're just gonna pull this giant thing up to my house and put the thing in it and do a first flush diverter. I'm done." But it's a suburbia, you know, where they're like all those moms are at home staring at each other through their kitchen windows. You know, they they, got to get over that. You got to give them vegetables and seeds and stuff to play with. So water's really not a big issue. Um, So watersheds and woods—that's the issue, and that's why I started with that. We can really take responsibility for ourselves if we get off the woods and the watersheds. What we need to do is fix that, because then suddenly our, our air is being cleaned again. Suddenly our watersheds are full of life again. And suddenly, you know, the aquifers are filling up again. Because uh, we can't we can't keep tapping the, the aquifers. I mean, Tulare no longer has water, all the walls are dry. And Fresno is next. Um, and a lot of that bottling water that we're buying at every gas station, right, is coming from Fresno and Sacramento. So when it hits there, I don't know what they're going to do. All right, so, yeah, all right, so this is good. This is exciting. So we're going to slow and soak, and we're going to replant and get things going. And then we're going to transition to farmers, and we're going to relocalize farming. We, we can't keep working in the desert on the west, on the west side of uh, Central Valley, where all the uh, silica is and all the salts are. You know, have you guys seen these big things where they, they drag the salt off, off the land and then they've got these huge piles of salt? This is what we're doing. This is what our cars are doing. We're accumulating the toxins from our environment and consolidating them in an area. And the problem with that is that it's not meant to be like that. It's all meant to be spread out. It's meant to be part of, and it's meant to be inert, really. Almost all these toxins are it's meant to be small and, and just spread out. So. We need, to, we need to flip that, especially as we decommission dams. And relocalizing farming is actually quite easy. Uh, Stone just did 17,000 17, pounds of food in one season on a third of an acre. Or is it 1,700? I might be slipping. Could be slipping the comma. Either way, he's doing crazy amounts of things. And, I mean, money-wise, I think he's making $75,000 on a third of an acre in the middle of a city in Canada growing food. So it's like so possible. It's not not even like a question whether this is possible or not. We can do this. We just need to choose. And we just need to start. So at this moment, this is the moment when everything goes exponential. The transition goes through the roof. Because as the snow melts and no longer goes into the dam, it will flow down the mountain and then it will go into this lakes and streams and then all of us will be routing all the flood water because we will get flood water so suddenly all the all the wetlands will come back suddenly in a year or two we're gonna see the largest growth of plant life that we've ever seen in California because the amount of water they're gonna get we've never seen that amount of water return to land we're gonna have like plants going crazy and that's why it's so critical that we act because when those plants come back they're not going to come back as the blue oaks they're not going to come back as you know the douglas fir pine right because all those beetles all those 20 percent of those trees are already dead they're going to come back as the weeds that's why we're so critical in this transition because they're going to come back as all those invasive species that we don't like so we need to put in positive invasive species. We need to put in desirable things like mulberry trees. We need to put in things like apples. We need to put in things that feed us, feed the animals, and feed the land, like nitrogen-fixing trees, um, like maybe like autumn olives, uh, Siberian pea shrub. Those are those are grow in my backyard. They might not grow in your backyard. But the point is, is that the options are almost limitless, uh, especially with our growing climate and the fact that we're returning the rain. Um, So this growth can become exponential if we feed it. And if we just let the land recover and then start pulling out of it again, we're going to be back here in another 10 to 20 years. We need to pair and then sync with the patterns of nature. So we calibrate. Because if if we aren't going to do it ourselves, we're going to have a consumption problem. So in order to, to calibrate, we need to slow down. And so we need to reclaim and rewild the night. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read the article. It's called The Myth of the Eight-Hour Sleep. It's a BBC article, um, and it's about how up until the electric light, the advent of the electric light, we didn't sleep for eight hours a night. We slept for four hours and then woke up for an hour or two and went back to bed for four hours. The middle of the night was actually a very active time period for humans up until 150 years ago what happened is when the electric light came out they actually the business people convinced and the factory people convinced the doctors to convince the moms that their child would be unproductive and lazy if they let them have bimodal sleep and so we need to fix that because our actual physiology is designed to go to bed pretty shortly after you know the 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 Sun goes down like an hour or two afterwards and then wake up with the Sun and wake up in the middle of the night and you know Pray or read or go talk to your neighbors um, or make children. That's what, that's what they did in that time period, traditionally. Um, so we need to reclaim the night. We need to rewild ourselves. We need to slow things down. Uh, if we push ourselves less, we'll stay up less. We'll consume a lot less. We'll eat less. We'll use less energy up and we'll be richer. Uh, we need to save, not spend. We need to work locally and end the communing. We need to do meaningful work that helps each other and ourselves and our environment all at the same time. I think the, the most depressing thing growing up in, in, our, in our society without the knowledge I have now is that there was no place for me. That's why I became a musician. I went through school, I was like, wow, I don't want any of this. This is all bad. And so I just didn't want to deal with it. My, my mom was a politician, my dad's a businessman. older brother went into finance my other brother poli sci and i'm like "Uh uh-uh, not doing any of that so i just learned music um because i felt that was the only ethical path that i could take of course it wasn't that you know wasn't that enlightening (laughs) not like permaculture is right and i think that's what it boils down to is that we need to we need to think about our communities and our cultures that we're creating and think about what we want because i think we're boils down to we all want the same thing. We all want meaning. We want connection. And we want abundance. And we want it to be ethically derived. If we, uh, the less money we spend on food, fuel, water, and electricity, the more we save, the less work we have to do, the more we slow the economy of the dollar, the more we enrich the economy of people, families, neighborhoods, communities, and friends. And I'm not saying this uh, to go get, get bad guys. I'm not saying... Um, you know, let's put people in jail or do anything like that. What I'm saying is if we take responsibility for ourselves, we literally make them powerless. We disarm them by taking responsibility on ourselves. If we want to stop the wars over resources all over the world, the first step is taking responsibility for ourselves, our food, our fuel, our water. And suddenly, we don't need to go over there and do anything because they're not even getting the tax money from us anymore because there's nothing to really tax since we're bartering and growing everything ourselves. Suddenly their budget's a lot small, smaller and they actually don't even need to go over there because they don't have any demand in America for those resources anymore. We don't want those fossil fuels. We don't want that dirty oil. We, you know, we don't want to fund that dictator because he doesn't have anything we need. And so suddenly the practices that we've been using to govern and support and prop up our nation for so long become unnecessary. We don't need to leverage or pressure people. We don't need to, you know, to make people suffer in order to get our economy to be recognized by them. We don't need to do any of that. We need to change the way we eat, live, sleep, and socialize because that's the only way our consumption is going to actually change. If we're creating um, our output and making our input, We will calibrate, and it takes time and practice, but our genes are with us. We wouldn't be here if we weren't designed to do this. I believe that all of us are here for this purpose. We're here to take back the natural cycles, to take back our place in them, and to reset the path we're on. These games we play that we call society and civilization and economy, we can change them. It's really up to us. We're all the ones participating in it. So now is the time to change from positive to negative, from pass- passive observers to ethical actors and actresses. This is the moment, and the world knows it. The world is also watching, and that's why you guys are here. That's why there's so much interest online, and that's why people everywhere are interested in everything that is going on right now. It doesn't matter whether they're in a Muslim country. It doesn't matter whether they're in a Western country or an Eastern country. Everyone is keenly Aware that something is going on a change is happening and this is what they're waiting for they're waiting for an ethical world they're waiting for a sustainable world a world where you don't have to you don't have to like think about am I free and what does freedom mean we'll live that and we'll know it we can make that change no government, company, or organization will do it for us either it's ours it's our sole opportunity to do it And if we don't take this chance, we won't have it. So I invite all of you to take that opportunity. So join us in the Permaculture I invite all of you to join me, join all of us in the Permaculture Renaissance. Because this is the moment in history that we've all been waiting for. This is why we're all here, I believe, to make that change, to make the difference to take responsibility for ourselves and for our children to make the world a better place. And it starts, I believe, with permaculture.